0: Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 if you're not already there. And please stand with me in the honor of God's Word and the reading of it. We've already heard the entirety of chapter 2. Our text this evening is verses 1 to 10, and so those are the verses that I will be reading. Hear now the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's holy and inerrant word, you may be seated. We'll pray in just a minute. (laughs) For those of you expecting that, you know, we live in a performance-oriented, merit-based world. And if I were to take a poll, uh, many of you would, most of you, if not all of you would agree with that, Um, but you also would probably say you didn't like it, even though in many respects we depend upon it. Think about it for just a minute, grades in school. Positions on teams, money for college, raises for promotions, uh, raises and promotions at work, uh, personal and team awards for winning and outperforming someone else. And when we succeed, it feels so good that we take those certificates and awards and we put them in scrapbooks and we place our trophies on the shelves or we Put them over. Uh, we hang the medals over the doorknobs, and we hang our degrees on walls. We put letters behind our names. We uh, put our achievements on our resumes. We put uh, letter or our, our our positions on our business cards. And when we put the be- and then we put the best parts of our days and our lives, and of course our children's achievements, all over social media. And there's nothing in and of that that's wrong. Okay, don't, don't run home and start taking things off of Facebook. But you know as well as I do, there's also a darker side to this performance-oriented, merit-based culture. For when we fail, we tend to make excuses and blame others. Or when we don't have anything to show for the performance that we've given Or when uh, we question whether or not we're actually contributing in any way. Or if what we do really matters. Just ask a mom who stays at home and works faithfully day in and day out and nobody ever sees what she does. And there are those who feel as though they have to perform unfortunately and earn the right to... To receive the love of a spouse or the attention of a parent or the acceptance of a friend. Some become anxious and fearful due to the weight of the potential failure and disappointment. And they they either pull back in some type of uh, depressive isolation or they push forward in this relentless pursuit of perfection. And some become so overwhelmed and worn out that they self-medicate and some just give up altogether. And let's be honest, living in this, this environment, this culture, day in and day out, seven days a week, takes its toll. And it takes its toll even on us spiritually because we begin to believe that our salvation, uh, in some ways, we begin to think and we begin to feel and we act as if... Our salvation is based upon another gospel, a works based gospel. But fortunately, for you and for me, for those of us here, we know there really isn't another gospel. There is only one gospel, and that gospel is grace based. And you and I have the fortunate opportunity to gather and remind ourselves of that week after week after week because we gather here to hear that gospel. And then we go from here and hopefully are reminded of it on a day-to-day basis as we live among one another, amongst one another, and share that with one another. And tonight, the reminder couldn't be any more clear than it is right here in Ephesians chapter 2. In verses 1 to 10, we come to this passage for such a time as this in which we live. And Paul speaks specifically of God's gracious work of salvation. The good news that you and I need to hear. The great news that you and I need to hear on a weekend, week out basis. The, the great news that a lost and dying world needs to hear. Because God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He chose us. He brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He he redeemed us, forgave us, adopted us, and sealed us by Himself. I love how this is put. God has uh, has saved us from Himself, by Himself, uh, to Himself, for Himself. And that's good news. So the outline is really simple in the back of your bulletin. You were dead... But God, so that. Let's pray together. Father, we'd ask, I'd ask in these moments that, Father, that we would hear the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe more clear than we ever have before. We all need it. We need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it. We believe it to be true. And there is no hope outside of it. So give us ears to hear. Create soft, fertile hearts. And that we'd ask in these moments that this truth, that your word would not return void. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul doesn't mince words, does he? I don't think we've ever known Paul to do anything but. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He isn't attempting to uh, be politically uh, correct in any way. He's not trying to be culturally sensitive. He's not worried about hurting anybody's feelings. He wouldn't go over today. He wouldn't be well received today in this culture in which we live. He's going to tell it like it is, and so he begins by reminding the Ephesians and reminding us of our spiritual state apart from Christ. And he says, you were dead. And when we read, you were dead, there are really three things. As he, he expands upon that, he explains that, but then he, he expands upon that, and he really, as he fleshes that out, there are three, things that he des- ha- ha- there are three ways that he describes us in our dead spiritual state. We're, we're corrupt, we're confined, and we're condemned. Paul says in verse 1 that when we were apart from Christ, we were spiritually dead. A more accurate way to put that would be we were, uh, we were sp- walking corpses spiritually. And so if you've ever seen, and I haven't, but if you've ever seen The Walking Dead or if you've even seen a promo, that's a great illustration or a vivid picture of what Paul's talking about. That, that gray, decaying, insect-infested corpse moaning and limping around is a great illustration of where we were in our trespasses and sins. I used to tell my kids, it's as if we were at the bottom of the lake, no air in our lungs, and blue. That picture just doesn't leave. They tell me that same thing today. That that vivid picture has not left. Paul says we all slipped and stumbled, we fell short, deviated, went in the wrong direction, and completely missed the mark of God's standard of holy perfection. And as I told the children, not only did we not reach that in that, that state, we were actually going in the opposite direction. And to put it in terms that we're, well, and it wasn't our lack of perfection in regards to our actions that caused that spiritual state of deadness. It was our spiritual state of deadness that caused our actions. In other words, as, we've, as you've heard more times um, than probably I have, it's, it's not, we, we don't, um, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And Paul's very clear. That's what he's talking about here. And, and he doesn't mean that we were always as bad as we could be. But it does mean that on any, any, or even on a good day, you and I are never going to be able to always do everything according to God's standard of perfection. And even in the good that we do, we don't have the motivation that's needed, we're not doing it. We, we, we weren't doing it for Him. And so the bottom line is, apart from Christ, we were unresponsive to spiritual things. So we were corrupt. He says in Romans 3, He, he speaks of the, the nature of that corruptness. Mentally, physically, behaviorally, volitionally, emotionally. Every, every part of us. But He keeps going. He keeps going and says that we were also confined... Another way to put it would be that we were in bondage to sin and there were three, if you'll think of these things as, as three chains. And if you'll have the visual of someone standing there with three chains, one around each arm or maybe one around the arms, one around the legs and one around the neck. And the first chain is the chain of the world. And being, uh, being in bondage to that chain of the world, there were a few things that we uh, there were th- several things that we would continue to do. One was that we kept following the shifting structure of right and wrong, defined by a culture that was constantly redefining itself. So things, the, the right and wrong was constantly changing. It also kept us chasing after uh, the power and prestige and, and pleasures that our culture said uh, were, were not only important but necessary being chained, we also kept mimicking the practices of others who were spiritually dead just like us. And there are a lot of other things that we were doing, but those I think those were enough. The second chain that confined us was the chain of the prince of the power of the air that we kept following. We kept following Satan. And... By following Satan, He would lead us to attempt to constantly overthrow the creative order of things by asking the question, did God really say? And He continues to do it today. And of course, the third chain was the chain of our own sinful us and desires. We didn't have to look beyond ourselves, and we kept pursuing the thoughts and passions and desires of our corrupt nature. And so we were completely restricted. Apart from Christ, the, we were restricted and, and the freedom to not sin was not possible for us. I don't think it's too strong to say we had no choice. And rebellion was all we knew. And as I mentioned to the children, things may have looked good on the outside when we compare ourselves to each other. Right? We, we we might make a good jump and we can say, man, that was really good. But we fell fall way short. And when we compare ourselves to others, well, I'm, I'm ahead of Campbell, so I must be doing all right. But in the reality of things, apart from Christ, our motive was never to glorify God and the good that we may have done was never good enough to merit salvation. Period. And again, if that weren't heavy enough, then Paul says that because of that corruption and that confinement, we were condemned. He says we were children of wrath. We were objects of divine wrath. And we were deserving death. Again, not necessarily because of what we did, but because of who we were. God is, contrary to what we hear today, God is not some silver-haired grandfather that That winks at our slight indiscretions and gives a slight nod to when we make slight mistakes. The reality is sin offends a holy God. God is offended, and there is a price to pay for that offense. So being just his wrath must be displayed. And that's why he said that Paul wrote it to the letter uh, to the Romans and said, The wages of sin is death. So sinners are deserving of uh, divine wrath and condemned to die. Therefore, as sinners, we were deserving of divine wrath and condemned to die. And I want just allow that to weigh on you. Feel, Feel the weight of being unable to do anything good enough to please God. Allow the weight of being a constant failure. Weigh on your shoulders. Because that's, that's what Paul's doing. He's building one upon the other so that we would feel that weight. And we weren't doing anything we didn't want to do. The sin may have been, the Adam's sin, may, we may have inherited it. And we may have been imputed with the guilt of Adam. But in reality, we weren't doing anything we didn't want to do. It was who we were. but when it couldn't get any heavier. When we can take it no more, when all seems lost and all hope is gone, when despair begins to creep in, Paul writes the most two beautiful words in all of Scripture. But God. It's a conjunction. And we hear the words, and, and what he does is he's hinting. And he's saying to us that by using that by using but God, then we know that anything that He is about to say from that point forward is going to be contrary to everything He's just said. So no matter what He says about God, no matter what He says about an attribute of God, no matter what He's it's gonna be contrary to what He's just said about who we were. And so even in those words we we begin to come out of that a little bit. It's it's a hint that despite what he could have justifiably done, he or what he what he could have just yeah what he could have justifiably done he chose not to do, and he saved us. We were marred beyond usefulness, and we were salvaged. And in verses four to six, Paul describes the manner and motive of that salvation. I want to look at the manner first. In verse 5, he says, But God, verse 4 says, But God, we're going to jump to verse 5. He says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In verse 1, he says, You were dead. In verse 5, he says, But God made you alive. The, The theological term is regeneration. And it's the idea that Jesus communicated in John chapter 3 with the words to Nicodemus of being born again. Uh, it's illustrated in John chapter 11 with Lazarus being called from the grave. Uh, we get an idea of, of what it, of, Well, it's represented in Ezekiel chapter 36. And it's what Paul is referring to in his letter to Titus in Titus 3, 5. Because we were spiritually dead and not simply spiritually ill. My daughter is walking around now, right now with... Um, Walking walking pneumonia. And she called me yesterday and she said, I hate walking pneumonia because you can still walk. And everybody thinks you're still okay. And I don't feel okay. We were not, our, our sin was not walking pneumonia. We were dead, unable to respond. And we had to be born again. We had to be called forth from spiritual death to spiritual life. We needed our hearts of stone to be replaced by hearts of flesh. We had to be made alive to believe and to respond to the gospel. As Paul mentioned in verse 13, he says, Once you uh, heard the gospel and believed, we could not have done that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit bringing us back to life and granting us faith. So He regenerated us. Not only did He regenerate us, He released us. We were confined and restrained. We were enslaved to sin. We had those chains binding our hands and our feet and around our neck. We were following the world. We were following after Satan. And we were trying to satisfy our own sinful lusts and desires. And we've gone from being shackled to being set free. Chains are gone. I've been set free. As that, I was going to say newer version of Amazing Grace, but it's not really new anymore, right? our chains are gone we've been set free we've gone from being in shackles to being free to roam we're no longer in prison and we know that because Paul says we've been raised up into the heavenly places with Christ we've been regenerated we've been released we've also been rescued we're no longer children of wrath remember chapter 1 we've been adopted regenerated released released And And notice, all three of these actions are past tense. They're past tense, and they were accomplished, notice, with Christ. So apart from Him, this is not possible. It is because of our union with Christ that this is possible. So we were made alive together with Christ. We were raised up with Christ. We were seated with Christ. All that we have is because of Christ... And that's why he prays that we would understand the immeasurable power that God displayed in Christ because it's that same power that has been at work within us and continues to be at work within us. We've been raised with him, we've been seated with him, and we're no longer spiritual paupers or spiritual prisoners. We were once once in solitary confinement on death row, and now we're in fellowship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And one day we're going to sit with him physically. We're going to eat with him physically. We're going to spend eternity with him forever physically. And Paul wants us to know that in Christ, that reality is sure. Because spiritually, it it is true now. The question is, what motivated it? What would motivate that act? And we've already determined it was nothing in and of ourselves. So what was it? Well, Paul says, but God, back in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of His great love, He loved us. The first first motive is mercy. And not just mercy, but a richness of mercy. A mercy that overflows. a, A compassion for the helpless is one definition there. Another is that God withheld something that we deserved. But He did so fully and without measure. It was unlimited So God chose to withhold what we deserved. So what we have is that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was the most effective and efficient way to save sinners. Because at the cross, it's where he displayed that holiness and the justice and the wrath and carried out the punishment that sinners deserve. But he carried it out upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who was our our was our uh, substitutionary sacrifice in our place. So the inescapable and unavoidable price was paid, but it was paid by Jesus for you and for me. But it wasn't just mercy, it was also love. And we talked a lot about this a couple of weeks ago, so we, we won't go into it a great deal, but God, by His very nature and character, set His love upon us prior to the foundation of the world, before we could earn it, before we could merit it. It's it's not something that. It it doesn't have anything to do with us and everything to do with Him. He loved us first. So then we ask why. What's the purpose? Verse 7, it says, so that. In the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. You see, God's purpose is twofold, so I stop there. But There are two reasons really why... Paul, at least in this passage, says that we were saved and that he saved us. And the first is so that he might extend grace to us. God extended grace to us, and that was his goal. Salvation from beginning to end is a gracious work of a gracious God. He saved us by grace through faith. Even faith was the gift. And there's, they, they, they haggle over, you know, you know is faith the gift? Is grace the gift? Actually, it's all of it. All of it is a gift. Salvation from beginning to end, even the faith that we have is a gift. And so as a result, we have have everything to be grateful for and absolutely nothing to boast about. Nothing to boast about. And He wants to continually show this grace to us. He's not done extending grace. As a matter of fact, that's why we're called His workmanship. We're called His workmanship because we are walking pieces of art. We're masterpieces. And our, our, He saved us so that we might put Him and His grace on display. And the goal isn't to, that everybody would stand around and, and just ooh and ah over the, over the art, but over the master. When people look at us, we want them to see God and His grace. He's made us alive. He's given us a new life. And his goal wasn't for people to become enthralled with us, but to be amazed at him. And that's not just through our testimonies. And that is a part of it. We should be sharing our testimonies of what the Lord has done for us, but that's not it. And that's and because of the second purpose, I believe, If we to, to finish up in verse 10... He created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, not only was his goal to extend grace to us, but he has saved us that God might expect grace from us. He expects us to show grace. So, while we say this over and over, and we believe it to be true, works don't save us, but they are expected of us. We've been saved to walk in good works. It's overused, but it's true, and it needs to continue to be used. Works are not the root of our salvation, but they are fruit of our salvation. And the faith that God has given us is a living, working faith. And He has has saved us and extended grace to us that we might extend grace to others. Loving and serving those who don't deserve it. Anyone and everyone, Christian and non-Christian... Any and every ethnicity, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, no matter the sin, no matter the past, no matter the present, no matter the future, showing partiality should be out of the question because God's mercy does not show partiality. It knows his grace knows no bounds. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, let our light shine we're told to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. No room for boasting. Drawing attention to ourselves is out of the question. Every good and gracious thing that we do is a means by which we may put God and His grace on display because apart from Him we are and we can do absolutely nothing. And so again, we've been... We've been saved from God, by God, to God, for God. And brothers and sisters, I, I pray that you're encouraged tonight to never forget. In the midst of this performance-oriented, merit-based world, there is something you could not earn and because you didn't earn it, it's something that you cannot keep based on your merit. And that's your salvation. Rest in the salvation that is in Christ. It's yours. It's gracious. It's an eternal and gracious gift from an eternal and gracious God. Rest in that. Walk in that. Look at yourself in that through that lens. Look at your spouse through that lens. Look at your children through that lens. Look at each other through that lens. Look at, look at them as the works of art that they are and boast in the Lord. And know that every time you love well your spouse, your children, your boss, your co-worker, your neighbor, a stranger, you display God's grace because apart from Him you would not be able to do that. Especially when they're not so gracious toward you in those times when they're sinful toward you extend that grace put God's grace on display that you you could not do that apart from him you would not do that apart from him every time you every time you refuse to follow the world satan or feed your own sinful pleasures and desires every time you open your home for hospitality every time you offer to those Uh, Every time you offer help to those who are in need, physically and spiritually and emotionally, you're putting God and His grace on display. It's what we're called to do. And going back to last week, may this cause us to pray that we would all grow in our understanding and knowledge of that grace. That we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of Him. That we would fall more and more in love with Him. And as you look at your non-Christian friends and your co-workers and your non-Christian family members, again, look through the gospel of grace as a lens as you see them. And see them in that helpless state that they are in. And that they need hope. And that their only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. See them in that state of corruption and confinement and condemnation. And they need good news. So pray for them as well. Pray for them that their eyes would be enlightened and that the eyes of their hearts would be would be opened so that they might come to a place of understanding and experiencing that unlimited compassion and mercy of God. And may I say if you are not if you've not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and if you have not acknowledged yourself as a sinner and in need of salvation, if you are tired and weary and and in need of rest from this continual treadmill of trying to justify yourself before God and other people, hear this tonight. Jesus is the only answer. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, your present standing and your future is very, very bleak. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Christ and find freedom, hope, and life everlasting. Let's pray together.